Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast for the Wilmington, Ohio Church of Christ. We pray that this message will inspire you and help you grow closer to God in your faith. Be sure to stick around after the message to find out more about how you can take your next best step. Enjoy the message. In 1825, the Rankin House was built. Pastor John Rankin was an abolitionist who was helping slaves escape through the Underground Railroad to Canada to get out of the United States so they could have freedom. And the Rankin House is built right above the Ohio River, um, a very high place where you can see the Ohio River and you can see across into Kentucky. And so on the Underground Railroad, people would come from Kentucky because they knew that John Rankin would help them. And he had this signal that he would use. In his upstairs window, there was a lamp that was always burning. See, the slave catchers, they got this idea that if they saw the lamp at the top of John Rankin's house, they knew that's when the slave was going to try to cross the Ohio River to escape. So they just said, we'll wait for the lamp to come on. And then John and his family, they just decided, we'll leave the light on all the time. And there are stories of people escaping slavery that they said when they got to the Kentucky-Ohio border at the Ohio River, they could see that light up on the hill. And they knew they were this much closer to freedom. In the passage of Scripture we're going to look at today, we are going to discuss how the pattern laid out to obey Jesus teaches us to leave our light on all the time so that we can lead people closer to Christ Wherever they are in the spectrum, if they don't know Jesus or they know Jesus, our light can help draw them closer to Jesus. In that pattern, we're going to figure out how we can be like the Rankin family. A light in the darkness calling people to freedom. Let's pray. God, I I just ask that you would transform us today from, from the scripture and the singing and the prayer and the community where we're gathered together Lord, transform us by the power of your Holy Spirit from the inside out. Draw us closer to Jesus Christ. Transform us to become more like him. Lord, I ask that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Last year, we kind of stumbled across, uh, upon a theme. See, our elders have been praying and kind of setting a goal, a five-year plan, three to five-year plan, where they had this idea that we could have a disciple in every home in Wilmington. And so whenever you do like a five-year plan or a three-year plan, you say, well, what do we need to do in the next 90 days? What do we need to do in the next month to help us reach our goal? And so we kind of did this idea where the whole year we were going to focus on prayer and witnessing prayer and giving our testimony. And we stumbled across this verse in Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. It says, we win, this is the Dale McCamish translation, we win by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, and we're willing to die for Jesus. We defeat Satan by trusting in Jesus, by giving our testimony, and we're willing to die for what we believe in. 
And so that became this running theme for last year where we said, hey, we we need to have a heavy emphasis on prayer. If we're going to be a community that changes the community, we have to undergird with prayer. We have to have spiritual power, empowered help. And we need to teach how to give our testimony, how to witness for what God is doing in our church. We even had a, a, a Sunday where we called it Testimony Sunday, where we had all these pictures and all these stories and all these people get up and talk about how our church went into their homes and helped them overcome something they were, they were battling. Sometimes it was just a, a matter of cleaning somebody's house or repairing something or, or taking a, a meal. But we had these testimonies. We had this witnessing. Well, we still have a desire to have a disciple in every home. And what that means is it has to be our church and the other churches in our community working together to lead people closer to Jesus. That's just being obedient. Jesus, when he made the command, when he had the call for his apostles, the 120 people that were around him at the resurrection on the hill before he ascended, he gave this the command. He said, as you go, wherever you go, wherever you are, make disciples baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And then he promised us he would never leave us. He would always be with us. And that command was for all Christians. And then we we see this beginning to happen in the very first church. In Acts, when the church was started, when 3,000 people were saved and 3,000 people heard the call of Christ, they repented and were baptized and they joined the first church. The very first church was a megachurch. They were following this pattern of obeying Jesus. The passage today we're going to look at comes from Acts chapter 5. And this is the continuation of the apostles following the pattern of Jesus. And from this passage, we stumbled across one last year, Revelation 12, 11. We win by the blood of the Lamb, the word of our testimony, and we're willing to die for Jesus. But we planned this one. Acts chapter 5, verse 42 is going to be this passage That's going to be the theme for the year. But I want to give you a little heads up how we got to there. We want to follow this pattern laid out by the first church to obey Jesus. In Acts chapter 5, verse 12, it says, The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. In the temple structure where all the Jewish followers and now the Jewish Christians would show up, there was a place where you could meet and it, this, the temple was huge, where really you could fit 3,000 people in one setting. And that, that, there was a place there called Solomon's Colonnade. There was a place for uh, Jewish men, and then there was a place for Jewish women. That's as far as they could go. And then there was a place for Gentiles, non-Jewish believers. Well, that's near Solomon's Colonnade. All these people, 3,000 people would meet, and they would hear the apostles teach, and they would see miracles done and people being healed. You skip down just a couple of verses in chapter 5, verse 17. Then the high priest and all of his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. And they arrested the apostles and put them in jail. If you follow along a little bit further, you find out that the Sadducees, that ruling group, they said to the apostles, don't you dare preach in the name of Jesus anymore. And they had one One of the Sadducees, he said, guys, listen, if if this is a movement of God, you're not going to be able to stop it. But if it's not a movement of God, you know, it'll fade away. And so it ends with this section, verse 40. His speech persuaded them. So the Sadducees called the apostles in and had them flogged. 
Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. And here's the key verse we're going to look at today. We're going to spend time on the next several weeks. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. Day after day in the temple courts, large group gathering. Think church on Sunday morning. And from house to house, small group gatherings. Think Sunday school, small group, Bible studies. They never stopped teaching and telling that Jesus is the Messiah. I think that's the pattern that the first church is giving to us that shows us how to obey the commands of Jesus. And we are called to follow that pattern, to be consistent, to be relational, and to be evangelistic. Consistent, relational, and evangelistic. Here's what I mean by consistent. I I don't know if you did this or not. Maybe you joined me at the beginning of the year and you started a new diet because we do that in January, right? So the only way diets work, the only way new diets work, if you stay consistent. So if you're like me and you start off one or two days following the diet and then you see this cheesecake gift card factory we got for Christmas, one or two days consistent, and then you go use your gift card, your diet will not work. Okay, it just won't work. It's not consistent. You started a new workout plan at the beginning of the year, like I'm going to learn how to do 100 push-ups all at once. You start off the first day, you do 10, you take a little break, you do 20, take a little break, do 10, take a little break, and then you wait a day, and you got to do it the next day. You have an off day, and then you start. Okay, now you're going to do 15, take a little break, 15, take a little break, and then you've got to wait a day. And then the next day, if you're just watching Netflix, and you don't do the routine, that means you've lost consistency, and it means you're not going to see growth. You're not going to see change. Started a Bible study this year. I think that's great. See, it's healthier. It's healthier to eat a little meal every day than it is to just eat one meal on Sunday and fast for the rest of the week. If you're going to do a Bible study, the key to have growth and transformational change is to be consistent and to do it every day. It is healthier to read two chapters of Scripture every day than to read 14 chapters of Scripture on Sunday and not touch it again for the rest of the week. And see, the pattern laid out by the first church says that every day, day after day after day after day, if you want to be obedient to Jesus, you have to be consistent. This is the pattern given to us. I'm so thankful that we have examples of Christians that have come before us and Christians today that show us how to be this consistent follower of Jesus Christ. Dwight Moody, he was a preacher from yesteryear. yesteryear. Dwight Moody would keep a list of a hundred names that he prayed for every day that they would find Jesus Christ. And as they found Jesus Christ, as they came to the Lord, as they came to salvation, as they were saved, he would mark them off his list. When he died, he still had that list in his pocket. There were four names left. And all four of those people came to Christ after he died, probably because he consistently, every day, faithfully prayed for for those people. 
I got to see my brothers at Christmas time. I don't get to see them very often. And um, one lives in Connecticut, one lives in California. And both of my brothers are anti-Jesus. One of them angrily so. And at, at lunchtime, right around Christmas time, I prayed for our meal. And um, I, I used the name of Jesus in our prayer. And my brother looked at me and said, you are annoying. But he wasn't joking. And I've never done this before. But every day since Christmas, I have consistently prayed for my brothers. Why haven't I never prayed for them consistently before? I wake up and I pray for them and I go to sleep praying for them because they have spiritual blinders on, put there by Satan. The scripture says Satan puts spiritual blinders on people. Well, the only way to remove spiritual blinders is to have spiritual warfare happening. It's something I cannot do, so I have to pray and use weapons not of this world to interact with my brothers. I have to pray every day. But what happens when I stop praying? And Daniel, when he started praying, Daniel chapter 9, he prayed 21 straight days. Daniel's one of the prophets found in the Old Testament. And an angel appeared to him on the 21st day. And he said, Daniel, I heard you praying and I heard your call when you started praying 21 days ago. But a demon interacted with me and there was a fight that I had to get through to get here to you. Well, what would happen if Daniel had stopped praying after day six or day seven or day eight or day 12? Daniel kept praying consistently every day until spiritually something broke through. Elijah, a prophet, the same thing. Elijah had this big battle with the prophets of Baal and God showed up. And there was a drought in the land. There had been a drought for three years. And God said, you need to pray for rain. So Elijah got down on his knees. He sent his servant. He said, go look for a rain cloud. And he prayed once. He prayed twice. He prayed three times. And the servant kept coming back to him. He said, I don't see anything, boss. And he prayed again. He prayed again. He prayed seven times for it to rain. And finally, after the seventh time, the servant came back and said, I see a cloud. And Elijah said, okay, I think that's it. And then it rained. See, consistency is one of the keys to have the change happen, to have the spiritual warfare continue battling on, to have God show up in a powerful way. And the first church was showing us how to be consistent, consistently obeying what Jesus has commanded us to do. This should be our theme for the year. Part of our theme, 542, day after day, consistently moving to follow and obey Jesus. Day after day, seeing consistent, little by little growth and change. This is how everything in life works, and it's not different with your spiritual growth, and it's not different with our church. Day after day, we have to consistently move in to obey Jesus. Day after day, they, they didn't stop meeting at the temple and then from house to house. They were also relational. I, I love this idea that you can build relations in a large relationships in a large group and you can build relationships in a small group. But it does take a little bit of effort. It does take a little bit of effort on your part and my part. Right now, if you wanted to uh, come in and be a part of our church, there's a, a, a lot of ways to do that. One of them is to show up on a Sunday morning and gather with a large group of Christians and worship together singing, worship together in prayer, worship together in listening to the Word of God, worship together in communion, and that is good and healthy. 
And the first church did that when they met in the temple courts. It was a large group gathering. But it's not the only way to build relationship. In fact, you can only go so deep sitting in rows. Sometimes you're going to have to go a little bit deeper. And that's where house to house comes in. Day after day, they met in large group gatherings. They met in small group gatherings. Right now, if you go out to the hub where Brenda Babb is, she has a list of potential small groups you can get connected to that are kind of like those little house-to-house groups that the apostles were going through, building relationships. There are Sunday school classes and small groups and prayer groups and serving groups, online groups. There are ways to get connected, but sometimes it takes a little effort. Somebody had mentioned to me, Uh, We can't get connected at your church. It's too big. Oh, well, did you uh, sign up for a small group? Oh, no, we didn't do that. Okay. Did you uh, volunteer to serve anywhere? Oh, no, we didn't do that. Did you attend any of the events that we have going on in the church building or a gathering of people uh, to, to meet somebody? No, we didn't do that. Did you just wave and say hi to anybody? It does take a little effort on the other way, too. But the key is to build a relationship. It's not to check off a box that you're in a group or to check off a box that you attended church. The key is to be relational so we can move into a deeper relationship where you hold the preacher accountable to preach what's in the Bible. Where the elders and the shepherds and your small group leaders and your fellow brothers and sisters hold you accountable to obey Jesus. The key is relational, where you learn what your spiritual gift is so you can serve somebody else. The key is this relationship that can be built. And how do you build relationships? Well, it's consistently over time, where you gather together in a large group, then you gather together in a small group, and you get to know one another, and then you grow that relationship. I love how the first church was teaching us to build those relationships. We're called to be relational. And so we want to invite people to this large group. We want to invite people to a small group. But we want to have the idea and goal of transformation happening, not just attendance. Coming to church is not a check off your box that you're now a Christian. Just like going to McDonald's doesn't make you a Big Mac. Right? Jordan Peterson, I love Jordan Peterson. He's this close to being a Christ follower. He's like a psychologist or psychiatrist, I can't remember. He's in the news again because his governing board wants him to be more woke. And so they said, we're going to revoke your uh, medical license and we're going to send you to school so you can learn how to be more woke. And he's like, I'm not doing that. Okay, but he's this close to being a Christian. See, the God he's invented is a transactional God. See, Jordan Peterson, I, I love this about Jordan Peterson on one hand, I hate it on the other. Jordan Peterson is always, is, is all about, from his psychological background, it's all about self-improvement. You as a person continue should try to improve yourself. And he says, if you have a religion, and if you follow the Christian religion, it's better for self-improvement, which should be the goal of humankind, the optimization of mankind. Well, see, Christianity is not about the optimization of mankind. It's not a transaction. It's a transformation where the glorification of the Son of Man is key. Christianity is about the transformation where we worship Jesus. 
And we lift him up so that everybody can see him, where he becomes part of us and coming out of us. So it's not the optimization of us pulling us, ourselves up by the bootstraps, but the transformation that takes place in our soul where we become more like Jesus Christ. That's going to happen in relationships faster than if you do it isolated. In fact, the scripture never calls us to live in isolation. It sometimes calls us to isolate ourselves in prayer or isolate ourselves for fasting or isolate ourselves for a spiritual growth, but it doesn't tell us to live there. It tells us to do things together as a community. And the first church, the pattern, showed us how to do this. Large group gathering and then a small group gathering. And so to make this happen... The, this is kind of important to realize. The number one people that you can lead to Christ, that you can invite to church, that you can invite into a small group, the number one people group that you can do that is people you already have a relationship with. You can go out in the street corner. There was a guy at Kroger the other day. He was in the, across the road. He had a microphone, a megaphone, and he had a, a billboard sign he was wearing, Jesus saves, and he was yelling at the cars that drove by, which it might do some good. I, I don't know. I've never been, like, convicted by that street performer. But maybe somebody is. But what I have seen is people who know each other invite them to know Jesus because there's already a relationship and trust built and that person comes to faith in Christ and then grows spiritually. That happens in large group and happens in small group. I asked Alex and Rachel if I could talk about them today because last week I just noticed some people sitting next to you I hadn't seen before and I found out that you all had invited somebody that you know to come to church with you. That's relational. That's how transformation happens. We just invite and pray for. If you just start with the people you know, you're going to make an incredible difference in somebody's lives. You just have to start with the people you know. If you want to expand and talk to other people, that's okay too. But every one of us has family members or friends that we know that are not connected in a relationship that's going to help them grow in Christ. They're not connected in a large group. They're not connected in a small group. And they're definitely not connected to Jesus. We all have people we know like that, that we already are in a relationship with. So we just invite them. So Alex and Rachel, good job. Way to show us how to do it. We have to be consistent We have to be relational. This is kind of an interesting way to think about it. You know, it mentions the temple courts and it mentions small groups. God originally established the temple as a place where people could interact with God. God made his presence known. And he set the temple up in such a way, and then he told all of his followers, every year you have to come to the temple three times a year. Three times a year, make this pilgrimage. And so as you're set up and you go to meet with God or you go to the festival, you pass by people who are not connected to God. And you're showing them that there is a way to get connected to God. There is a way to have an interaction with the living God who created the universe. There is a way and there is a place to go. But this kind of changed after Jesus came. When Jesus came, the temple curtain was ripped from top to bottom, revealing the Holy of Holies where God is. And he says this. He says, 
you have become the temple. So wherever you go, you are taking God with you to introduce people to. And we're back to that relationship thing. The original plan for the temple, God said, I want my people to be a kingdom of priests. And that worked for about a day. And then they built a golden idol and bowed down and worshiped the golden idol. But the original plan for us to be a kingdom of priests, no separation between the priest and the laity, but everybody is a kingdom worker, that is still in effect. And the way to have change, the way to bring about transformation is to consistently, day after day, meet together in a large group, meet together in a small group. And the third part, never stop ceasing, teaching and proclaiming Jesus as Messiah. Now, I say this has to be evangelistic, But there's two things going on here in this passage, two words that we need to see as we lead people to Jesus. By the way, if you don't know Jesus as Messiah, Messiah kind of means like he is the one, the anointed, the savior. He's the one you've been waiting for. He's the one you're looking for. If you want your knight in shining armor to rescue you, that story is based on Jesus. It's true. The reason why we like those feel-good stories is because it is based on reality. If you're waiting for an end-time rescue where a whole world gets remade and you get a new body and you have uh, never-ending joy and never-ending peace and you never suffer in sorrow again, that's Jesus. That's the Messiah. He's the one. And in this passage, it says, they teach and proclaim. They train and they tell. This is discipleship and evangelism. And yet I am labeling this section evangelistic. We are called to be evangelistic. I'm going to tell you why in just a second, even though there's two words here. See, we have to do the discipleship. We have to do the training part. We have to train people how to connect with Jesus. We have to train people how to read their Bible, how to pray, how to tell other people about Jesus. We have to do that training. We have to train them in how to do Bible study and grow consistently over time. We have to do the training. We have to do discipleship. And the church of Christ is known for Bible emphasis. Call things by Bible names. No creed but the Bible. There's some other slogans we use in there that are built on the Bible. We, we teach the Bible. We train on the Bible. We're known for that. And the disciples were doing that too. See, if you lead somebody to Christ, but you don't train them on how to grow up in Christ, it, there's a good chance that they're going to fade away. It was never real. They'll never get connected to Jesus, or they have no spiritual growth. If you have a child that is born and then grows to about age two and then never start, never grows anymore, you would think, Medically, physically, there's something wrong. If you have somebody introduced to Jesus and they are initially on fire for Jesus, they can't help but love Jesus and they want to obey Jesus, and then all of a sudden they plateau and they never grow anymore in their faith, their faith never grows, their joy never grows, their love never grows, you would say something is wrong, something is off spiritually with that person, and that person needs to be trained. Somehow we need to intervene. The disciples were training. The apostles were training people to follow Jesus. But they were also telling. See, discipleship and evangelism is like two wings of an airplane. You cannot fly unless you have both wings. You have to tell people about Jesus, but you have to train them. Billy Graham was great at telling people about Jesus. He was evangelistic. Out, He was very evangelistic. And he would have, at his, at his uh, crusades, he would have sometimes... Five, ten thousand 10,000 people come forward, they would raise their hand, they would say a prayer, they would say, I'm committing my life to Jesus. Well, Billy Graham figured out, he did some follow-ups after his crusades, and he would figure out that if those people who pressed in and, 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 and confessed Jesus, wanted Jesus, he found out that only about less than 20% stuck with that commitment 
And he, he said, he dug a little deeper. Why is that? It's because they never got connected to the training part. Day after day, in the temple courts and then house from house, they never stopped teaching, training. We can't leave that part behind. It is so essential for us staying the long haul in Christ, not shipwrecking our faith, but also for our spiritual growth. We can't leave it behind. But we have a tendency, and everyone has this tendency, to become inward-focused. Here's what I mean. See, we have to do both. We have to do the training, but we also have to do the telling. We have to do discipleship. We have to do evangelism. But we have a tendency to just stay on the training side and never do the evangelism side. We do this when we get in groups of people. I'll give you an example, and you, you can, you can like go through your head and see if this is correct or not. We get in a group of people, and we get comfortable with that group of people, and we become inward-focused on just this group of people, and we stop seeing or caring about anybody who's not in this group. We do this with our friendships. We do this with our Bible studies. We do this with our small groups. It's just kind of natural for us to do that. And so we have to emphasize the evangelism part to overcome that natural tendency to be inward focused. Churches do this. You get in a big church and you like how things are going and you don't want to introduce anything new to draw somebody else or you don't want to go outside of who is here because you become inward focused. Churches do this all the time and it becomes just about us instead of this idea that we have to go reach the lost. And so we have to speak twice as much about the evangelism side, the telling Part of this every day, large group gatherings, small group gatherings, they never stop teaching and proclaiming. We have to teach twice as much about the proclaiming part to overcome the tendency to be inward focused. Here's a quick test to see if this is accurate. Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. Just think to yourself Have I attended a Bible study, Sunday school, or small group, or large group gathering? Church on Sunday morning, recently in the last seven days. Well, I know all of you have because you're here. Okay. Have I done this in the last month? How many times have I done this in the last month? Large group gathering, small group gathering, Sunday school, small group, Bible study just in your own home, training. How many times have you done that last month? Add it up, but don't tell anybody. And then ask yourself, How many people have you told about Jesus in that same amount of time? See, we all have this tendency to get sucked in, inward focused on the training and never do the telling. Telling kind of looks like this. Hey, our church gave away Christmas baskets of food last Christmas. I just thought that was awesome. We helped about 35 people who just needed to pick me up at Christmas time, have a meal, and that was a way to show love of Jesus. Would you come to church with me this Sunday? That's kind of how telling works. Or, man, our church is, is praying for a friend of mine who has cancer. And... We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know how God's going to move. But we are praying around this person. We want that person to have life. And I would love for you to come and, and hang out with us while we pray. And, and maybe, maybe you can discover Jesus too. Or maybe you just straight up 
This is the gospel Paul preached. Jesus Christ died for our sins and was buried. And after three days, he rose from the dead. And then he began to appearing to people alive back from the dead. And it changed their life. And I want you to have that change experience too. See, I'm so thankful that Dwight Moody was consistently showing his light, praying for the lost, and talking to one person every day to tell them about Jesus Christ. I'm so thankful that Alex and Rachel, they, sh- they shine their light and invited a f- somebody they're already in a relationship with to come to church with them. But our job is to continually, consistently shine our light to be obedient to Jesus Christ, not just in the training part, but also in the telling part. See, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming that Jesus is Messiah. He's the one. He's the one we've been looking for. He's the one that's going to rescue us. He's the one that's going to transform us. I'll give you an example of somebody that's doing that in our community. And he's actually gotten a bad reputation from about 10 very loud, angry people. His name is Lee Sandlin. He works at Sugar Tree Ministries. And there's this rumor out in the community that what Lee does is he enables drug addicts to continue to use drugs because he gives food away. And there's a rumor out in the community that's false thinking, it's, it's, it's bad thinking, that he enables criminal activity to happen because he gives food away. And Lee has one goal in mind, and that is to keep somebody alive long enough so that they can experience and get to the help they need. And he said every person, no matter where they are, no matter what they've done, has a right for food and shelter and to receive love. And somebody accused him, you mean you would love criminals? And Lee says, yes, I do love criminals. He said, I'm not against justice. If somebody commits a crime, they need to be arrested and go to jail. If somebody commits a crime on our property or if we find out a crime, I call the police. He said, I've got a great relationship with the police. They come and arrest this person. He said, I'm for justice, but I'm not going to not love people. And he, he says stuff like, you know, stuff you wouldn't think about. So Lee at Sugar Tree, they do give away food. And they give away food to hundreds of citizens who have homes in our community. And I think people sometimes forget that. But he also deals heavily with the homeless population. And the homeless population has this spectrum of people. Like he had a family come in to receive food at Christmas because their house burned down. That's a different type of homelessness than, you know, somebody who chooses to live homeless. And he had family just this last week came in, and the grandmother, her husband died. He had been the breadwinner and was paying for her house. She's had to get a job so she can keep her house payment. Well, she doesn't really have money enough for food, but she's in danger of being homeless. So Lee can provide meal and grocery for her, one hot meal every day and groceries once a week. But he also deals with the homeless. There's about 20% of the homeless statistically that are on addicted to drugs and 20% that have cognitive mental disabilities where they're, you know, they're just crazy. There's about 10 people in our community that are criminals who actually have addresses that steal for their drug habit and they eat at Sugar Tree that gives everybody else a bad name. 
It's not homeless people. They're people with addresses that are committing petty crimes. And Lee said, I'm still going to love them. I'm going to try to introduce them to Jesus. And if I can keep them alive long enough to get them to where they need, they can get help. See, he's built these bridges and all these providers in our community where he'll drive people to rehab or he'll drive people to Dayton or he'll drive people to Cincinnati where they have a resource where somebody can get the help they need. And so he's not enabling because he's showing love and feeding. People are going to do criminal activity and do drugs whether he feeds them or not. But he says they're not going to always receive love. And that's something he can do. He's very evangelistic. And a lot of times he makes up for where I'm not. Give me another, one one side note on this. We're going to have a stop and prevent homelessness training next Saturday, the 21st. And Lee is going to lead part of that training. He's going to take about 15, 20 minutes from 10 a.m. to noon. Uh, We have this building and then we're connected by a hallway to another building where our kids meet on Sunday morning. That's where we're going to meet for the homelessness training. And see, Lee's going to do a little section of that training on how to interact with somebody you come across that's homeless. There are some things to do and some things you don't want to do as you interact with them. But there are a lot of ways that you can help them. One of the things that you never want to do is, he said, never give them cash. Never, ever, ever give cash away. And he's going to train that. Uh, There... uh, there, somebody just told me about a homeless person who asked for a ride the other day and somebody in our community gave them a ride. Ali would probably give you training, don't do that alone. This person picked this person up alone and, and, and gave them a ride. Well, giving somebody a ride is fine, but there needs to be some training on that so you do that in a wise way. Lee's going to do a little bit of training at this Stop and Prevent Homelessness little training seminar, it's the first one. Uh, Katie Terrell, she's the head of the Hope House Women's Drop-In Shelter. She's going to have a representative talk about how you can volunteer at, at their center to help ladies who are really down on their luck and help them get the help they need. Uh, Ms. Stryker, who is the director of the homeless shelter in time, she, she has an assistant that does a point-in-time survey What that means is once a year, they go through and they find the different degrees of homelessness in our community. They report it to the government because that's how they get funding. Um, But that just shows a snapshot. What if we got training? What if there was a bunch of us got training that we could do a point-in-time survey more than once a year and find out if what we're doing is helping or hurting the community to assess the situation, like to get people to where they need to get help or or get people in and out of the system. Here's an example. A point-in-time survey will show us if there's a veteran that's homeless. See, the VA already has enough money from the government that will rehouse every single homeless veteran in America. Right now, there's an estimated 40,000 homeless veterans in America, but they don't know where they are. But there's enough money set aside by the government to rehouse them and get them the help they need if they're found. What if that point-in-time survey could discover just one veteran in our community that's homeless? Well, then we get them to the VA where they can actually get help they need. So we're going to do some training. Some people are, um, Rich Bowl, the pastor over at Church of God, he said some people, they just love helping youth. And they'll throw money at youth and they'll volunteer for youth and they just have a heart. They have a generous heart for youth. And he said some people have a generous heart to serve. Like these chairs all got set up by somebody at our church 
(laughs) that just loves serving with their hands. But there is a pocket of people who have a heart for the homeless. And they're going to show up at that training and they're going to start helping prevent and stop homelessness in our community. And we're going to drive our homeless population to zero because we're getting people into the resources they need. Evangelistic. Let's get back to that. Last week, I got a call, and um, this person, this lady on the phone said, I need help. Can you help me? I said, I want to get you the help that you need. This person is, we're not talking about homelessness anymore. This is just a person who's calling for help. And um, I called Ron. Ron is one of my good friends. He's heavily involved in Celebrate Recovery, and that's one of the ways this person could help. I said, Ron, uh, this person needs help. They, they kind of need to be in a group, Celebrate Recovery group. And he said, hey, you know who lives closer is Kathy Doofman. Kathy lives pretty close to this person you're telling me about. Kathy's really involved in Celebrate Recovery. I called Kathy. I said, Kathy, can you help this person out? They, they need some help. And Kathy said, sure, I'll give them a call. Kathy called me about an hour later, and she, I could just feel her excitement bubbling through the phone. She was just floating on cloud nine. She said, Dale, I had this great conversation. She, and then she said this. And I was like, what? She said, we never even talked about the help she needed. We talked about Jesus. She said, I found out through just having a conversation with this person when they were younger, they were forced to be baptized by their family, but they had never made a decision for themselves that they would commit themselves to Jesus. And she said, Dale, this was so great. I led her to Christ. And next week, she's going to go to celebrate recovery for me. But I just, I'm just so excited that we had to have this conversation. See, the person Kathy helped needs the training but they needed to know Jesus first. And Kathy was so excited that she just got to have a conversation to lead this person to make a decision for Jesus. That's huge. See, as we let our light shine to obey Jesus, and we do it consistently every day, and we do it in relationships, people we already know, the number one people group that we're going to lead to Jesus, people we already know, The number one people we're going to invite to church, invite to small groups, already know. But we have to have our light shining. And then we have to have an emphasis on the evangelism part because we have a tendency to only want to do Bible study. It's people like Kathy that's showing us a way to do it. They're showing us how the apostles did it in that very first church. They never stopped day after day, meeting in large groups, meeting in small groups, Teaching and proclaiming that Jesus is Messiah. So here's our challenge. Here's our takeaway. How are you going to consistently let your light shine in the darkness? How are you going to consistently be that light to freedom? How are you going to consistently let your light shine? How are you going to consistently obey Jesus? I think one, one thing you can do is, is just follow some of the pattern laid out in 542. Meet together in a large group. Build relationships in a small group. Continue your training, but emphasize telling. If we do that this year, we're going to be well on our way to having a disciple in every home. Let's pray. God, we need help with this. Uh, I have a selfish tendency myself. 
I need help to even have my eyes open to see where people are in need, especially in need of Jesus. So, Lord, help me to do that. Help our church to do that. Have our eyes open. Lord, we have people in our family and people who are friends of ours who have spiritual blinders put on there by Satan that can only be removed through spiritual warfare. Lord, help us to pray, and then you send traveling angels of mercy to remove those spiritual blinders so they can see Jesus. But Lord, we have our own blinders on where we're not looking to lead others to Christ. We're not looking to invite. We're not looking to tell. Lord, would you remove our own spiritual blinders and allow us to see? And Lord, help us to do this consistently. All to your glory. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This can happen in a variety of ways. You know, John Byrice, he saw us do Christmas baskets. And when COVID hit a couple of years ago, he was one of the ones that got really sick with COVID and ended up on a ventilator. And his lungs have never really quite recovered. And he watches, he's a part of our church online. And when we did Christmas baskets, he gave us a call. He said, I have a friend of mine who was in a terrible accident. He, the dad of the family, was crushed by a tree. He's in surgery right now. Looks like he's going to recover. He's a long way road to recovery. Is there any way we can send a Christmas basket of food to that family? Oh, yeah, we can. So showed up, delivered the basket. Who's this from? It's from John By Rice at Wilmington Church Christ, and he wants you to be blessed by God. He told me he just got a phone call from them about two days ago where they were just singing praises of Wilmington Church of Christ and thanking us for thinking of them in their time of need. You see how it can happen, the telling part, in ways that you haven't even imagined yet. But his eyes were opened to where he could help and help point people to Jesus. I don't know how you're going to do it. I don't know how God's going to do it through you. But I encourage you, I encourage you, I challenge you. Attend a large group. And if you're not in a small group yet, or you're not in a Sunday school class yet, get in connected. If you go out to the hub right now, well, Brenda may not be out there right now. At the hub, Brenda has a list of all of our Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday evening, Thursday morning. We've got a list of small groups you can get connected with. And if one of them is not for you, let's start one for you. Let's get you connected in a group where you can build a relationship. That's your challenge. One of, the, one of the ways that we continue to grow spiritually is when we get together as a group and we participate in communion together. There's something significant that happens when we're in a group and we take communion together that doesn't happen in any other way that we are acting like a Christian. Spiritually, it's different than when we just pray. It's different than when we just read our Bible. I, and I can't, I can't quite put my finger on it, but it is different. And the disciples, when they gathered, they also would gather as a body of believers and they would take the bread and they would remember what Jesus had done for them and then they would participate in the body of Christ as the body of Christ and it changed them spiritually. It didn't give them more forgiveness. It didn't give them more love of God, but it did have a significant impact on them. I think one of the reasons why God told us to take communion was not only to remember, but to be spiritually empowered by his presence. Would you take out your bread 
Would you remember that Jesus Christ put his sins in his body and took your place on the cross? God, we praise you for sending Jesus Christ to die on the cross in our place. Lord, we are remembering even now that you nailed our sins to a tree in his body. We thank you for that grace and that forgiveness. We thank you for the death of Christ that brings us life. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Would you take out your cup? The sacrifice pays for our sins, covers over our sins. Jesus' blood that was poured, shed out of his body, covers over our sins, making us pure. The sacrifice of Christ that we remember now allows us to be part of the family of God. Would you remember what Jesus has done for you and praise him as you participate in the cup? Lord, we thank you. And we ask that you would allow this time that we have set aside to remember your sacrifice to empower us to go out and obey what you've commanded us to do. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Please stand. We will be dismissed from this room and dismissed from online to go be the church to go day after day, let our light shine so that we can lead people closer to Christ, train them up in the way they should go so that they can go lead people closer to Christ. It's going to be our theme this year that in 542, that's the verse we're going to keep coming back to in a large group, in a small group, and heavy on evangelism. It's now our time to go be that Christ follower. God bless you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Have a great afternoon. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, talk to, or maybe you just want more information about our church, be sure to fill out a Connect card so we can reach out and help you take your next best step. Thanks again for joining, and we will see you back here next time.